This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats to keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. My name is Malcolm, and I feel pressured, and I've crossed out about. I don't know why you guys have about there. I feel pressured into being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk and lose, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are going to be friends. Hey there. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. This is Conan O'Brien. Uh, just making that clear in case it wasn't. I don't know how, how identifiable my voice is. It's very identifiable. Yeah. Yes, I suppose. Reached a certain level of fame. Oh, God. Anyway, well, I'm a one-name celebrity. Beyonce. Wow. Manson. Nope. Uh, <laughs> you say Conan, people think, right? I don't think Conan the Barbarian anymore. I mean, he? I hate saying this, but I think you're right. Yes, okay. I don't want to. Thank you. And by the way, let me introduce, that's Sonam of Sessian, my assistant. Yes. Uh, who um, hates giving me my props, just hates it. You hate giving me my props. And well, there are no, very few props to give. Oh. oh. No, no, I opened the box of props. There's not a lot of props in there for Sonam. I'm not going to do a one-sided props I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'm not going to give you props if you don't give me any props. I give you a prop, but you have to give me props. You're, what? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it's for stupid. God's sake. Let's just both say we deserve some props. And Sona, uh, thank you for being here. You're of, of great help to me on the podcast. You really are. That's nice. More so than as my assistant in real life. Come on, Don't dude. you think that's true? Why don't you stop at this, after a nice thing? Why don't you just stop? I could see, so you're saying when I hit the nice thing, just stop there. Yeah. You know what? That's a good idea and I thank you for it. Okay. Wish you had more ideas like that. Okay. Uh, you know what? You okay. No, no, I'm not giving you anything. I'm not giving you anything. Uh, also uh, by my side is uh, Matt Gorley. Hi. I think I'm saying that correctly, right? I always have, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to check. It's not a name that rolls up. Gorley. Look 
Who's talking? Conan O'Brien's very easy to say. You hear it once and you've got it forever. No. Matt Gorley, is it Gorley? Gorley. And I remember when you came on the scene, my family called you Conan for years. So did Regis Philbin. Regis Philbin, every time he interviewed me, would be like, now Conan. Yeah. And I'd say, okay, Regis. I showed him, right? That's his name. Regis. No, but I would go Regis. I'd put the- No. Didn't I get him? Wasn't that a good burn? No, it wasn't. Yeah, he didn't seem to think it was either. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even notice it. Yeah, because when- And Sona, just... Sona, that's not even your real name. What? Uh, oh, you're right. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's not. No, yeah. I was it's... like, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, but you're it's right. not. What's, What's your real name? My first name is Talene. Oh, that's pretty. And Thank your middle you. name is Sona. Talene. So my parents called me Talene for a month. Uh, of my life. And but why did they Sona. switch then? Because Sona is my grandma's name and they wanted to uh, pay respects to my grandma. I don't know why they named me Tallinn. I was ruined co- my life. For No, for months as a child, out of respect for my grandmother, I was called Maudie. <laughs> <laughs> really screwed me up. But you have sisters. I know. <laughs> I don't know what that was going on. They called me Maudie. All right. And they would say things like, and even as a young boy, they would say, can we help you, Maudie? <laughs> okay. And do you, you know, they would help me up the stairs and things like that. They help you up the stairs. Yeah, when I was perfectly, when I was fourteen years old, Maudie, are you okay? Remember to take your pills. They didn't treat me like my grandma. They just. Called. I know my parents really went to show respect to my grandmother, while my grandmother was alive. They still called me my grandmother's name and made me take her medication. And uh, this explains a lot. Help me up the stairs. All out of respect for my grandmother, which I thought was weird. Yeah, that is really weird. Who are you named after, Matt? I'm named after Marshall Matt Dillon from Gunsmoke. Are you really? Yeah. Wow, that was a big show back in the day. And a big leap from Matt Dillon to me, too. No, no. You are, in the podcast world, you are uh, quite the gunslinger, quite the lawman. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said. You to are. Me. You're in the in in the podcast world, a world I do not understand. Uh, you carry uh, a lot of weight. People really like your work. You're well respected and well regarded. That's what I've. That's what I picked up. I don't see it myself. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Yep, yep. okay. Just, I'm sorry. I just, I just let it roll. I, I wasn't even going to respond. long enough. I Could you try? Could you try? Nice to moment. just compliment. Like Aaron's here in the room. Just give him a compliment and then and then leave it at that. Just as an Just experiment. Stop. Please okay. don't. Please yeah. don't. Um let's see. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. I don't know what to kind of compliment. I don't know how to compliment. Her. His nose just started bleeding. <laughs> it's, it's a long <laughs> wait for a compliment. Uh, you, you, <laughs> I, it's hard. It's hard to compliment. You are I've known you a long time, Aaron. That's a fact. Uh, That's just a yeah. statement. How about an object? Let's start with an object like that pen. Okay. It's Sharpie. Um, I'm almost tempted to just leave it at that. Like it's Sharpie. No, it's a Sharpie pen and it says Sharpie fine point permanent marker. And these really are permanent. Once you use them, um, it's very difficult to remove the mark that they leave. Okay, these are just copy points. Yeah, they're and, not. Um, they're, uh, they're annoying, actually, because oh God. you write on your hand or something and it just doesn't come off. So these you things are the bane of my existence. can't compliment a Sharpie. I can't even compliment a Sharpie. So many times I've, because I doodle a lot and I'll doodle something on my hand or something and the next thing you know, it's, it's there. Yeah. You know, or I'll write myself a little message like, be more positive with people. <laughs> <laughs> 
try to be more complimentary and then it doesn't come off. So that's why the shoppy, you're the bane of my existence. But I think we should move on. Yeah. We've yeah. all discussed yeah. our names yeah. uh, and we've learned a lot about each other. Talene, if I call, if I yelled Talene on a busy street, would you turn your head, Sona? I wouldn't. No, I don't even remember being called uh, Sona. I mean, uh, Talene. I don't remember it. But you just admitted earlier that I have a very distinctive voice. So if you heard my voice yell Talene, you wouldn't you know, turn you your can't, head? No, you can't do that. Yes, I can. Because we're not talking about your voice. We're talking about whether or not I respond to Talene. Talene. I don't. I think you would turn your head. Come on. You would. I'm already looking at you. Exactly. I <laughs> that win. That doesn't work. I win. Don't say I win. You know how much that infuriates me when you say I win. I, I win. hate that. Where's I my... absolutely hate that Where... so much. Where's my trophy? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Stop it. Wait, I'm being handed a trophy right now. No, you you're can't not. see this. Yes, I am. And a suitcase of cash. No, this is this is Whoa, a plaque. Conan wins again. I hate this so much. You, Matt, Conan you have no Sona. idea what this taps into oh, for I'm me. I'm getting a sense of it. Oh my God. Well, anyway, it's, uh, nice no, to win. not anyway. That's stupid. You Always didn't win nice anything. Win. Nope, you didn't win anything. You're so stupid. Good to win. No, here we that's go. That's dumb. You didn't Winner. win. You didn't win. Winner. Nope, nothing. I love that we're about to segue into Malcolm Gladwell's book on seeing the other side of people and their arguments. <laughs> yes, Malcolm Gladwell may be one of the most intelligent writers on the human mind and psychology and what makes us tick. And I'm introducing him right now, following. Just the most infantile babble between two adults. Yeah, you because you. Yeah, you want to uh, let it go. The, you just have to let it go. Yeah, because I yeah. I'm going to say it and then you just go into the. Intro. Learn to be a good loser. Just, Here we go. Nope, just my guest today. I'm gonna, nope. I'm seriously. I'm introducing. I know you are. So okay. Okay. Hold on and my go. My guest today. Okay. I win. My I guest did. today. I got it. I did it. My got guest it. today. Oh fuck. I my guest go. today is an author. <laughs> I won. My guest today is an author oh, and journalist. God who's had five books on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, he also hosts the hit podcast, Revisionist History. His latest book is Talking to Strangers. Uh, I won. Uh, and Talking to Strangers is great, but you know what's really amazing is the audio book. Uh, I just want to mention this because I read uh, Talking to Strangers, and it's this uh, terrific book that talks about how we think we know people, assumptions that we make, how we don't really know sometimes who we're talking to, uh, that our uh, assumptions are incorrect. It's this wonderful book, but when you listen to the audio book, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that you hear the voices of the different people he interviewed and court transcripts come to life. It really adds a whole other dimension to the book. It's, it's available, by the way, on Audible. Anyway, um, glad I won. And now oh to get God. into it, uh, the brilliant Malcolm Gladwell is with us, and maybe he'll explain what's wrong with me and so. Uh, seriously, uh, very good to have you here, sir. How often do you go back to the old country and kind of like go to the pub that your great, 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 great grandfather owned? Well, that's what they all do, right? Uh, no, that's not what they all do, <laughs> Malcolm. I'm surprised. Here you are, I think, uh, this very erudite, learned uh, man, and you just reduced me to the lucky terms leprechaun and no. said that, I'm going to go back to the pub. Oh, see the old country. I've been back several times, but no, I don't go to the pub, and I, we have no idea. There's, no, there's not good genealogical records on our people yeah. because I think we, you know, I there's married. So many of them. I married, thank you. I married into a very, uh, uh, I'll say it, a waspy family. And so yeah. my wife has oil portraits of ancestors oh, going wow. back to like 1680, you know, when yeah. they lived near yeah. Plymouth Rock. 
And um, we found, I think, a wanted poster for one of my, <laughs> for one of my people because he, he stole a horse's uh, hoof. Um, didn't you know, even take the whole horse. Well, after I did, this, this will, uh, actually, I'm now going to try and curry favor with you. After I did my um, podcast episodes this season on the, Je- I did three on the Jesuits. Yes. And someone wrote some article about them. And they said, you know, Malcolm Gladwell is fond of un- of unpopular things. And he listed like, a series of unpopular causes that I have been fond of. And then one of them was the Catholic Church. And I thought, wait a minute, that's really unfair. Who The Catholic Church has now become an unpopular cause. There's like a billion people are Catholics. That's yes. like the, the furthest thing from an unpopular cause. They, um, they have, I saw it somewhere, uh, maybe it was in a movie or a TV show, but someone referred to them as having, uh, they've had branding issues. The, yeah. the, they've had some bad branding. Uh, well, no, no, but if, if I might be serious for a yes. moment, it's entirely unclear to me, there are two ways of making sense of the Catholic Church's branding issues. One is that there's something uniquely wrong with the Catholic Church and that they deserve our disparagement and whatever. The other is that all major institutions have similar kinds of problems, and the Catholics are the first to publicly own up to it, mm-hmm. right? My suspicion is it's the latter, not the former, right. and that really what they are is that there are lots of other skeletons in lots of other closets that are hidden away, and the Catholics have had the guts. They've gone through a very public, very painful, and ultimately, it took a while, but ultimately very honest accounting of where they have gone wrong. I think there's a long list of people who should do the same thing, and have to be very careful about where they throw stones right now. Right, right. A lot of glass houses on this particular problem. Yeah, I think that's fair, what you've just said. Um, I think there'd be some people that would say they wish that the Catholic Church hadn't been forced to confront it yeah. uh, because it was hidden and uh, and and. Um, but that's the way of. But that's the way of humans. That is the way of humans. And know? and that's that's you know one of the things that that comes up a lot in your work. And it's one of the things I wanted to touch on is uh, that humans are flawed, and you know, especially your your latest book, talking to strangers. One of the reasons I love that book so much is that you pretty much reveal that we don't know what other people are thinking. We're not that we're not able to judge other yeah. people. Yeah, you give many great examples of it, and I think, yeah, what I always like to default to is humans are flawed. The humility of saying I am flawed and working off the assumption mm-hmm. that I'm flawed. That's a good way to go. Assume that we're flawed. Is that, am I on the right track here? Yeah, I think, you know, the, at the end of this book, I talk about how we need to be a lot more cautious and humble in our assessments of people. And actually, I begin the book, I don't remember, I begin the book with that story about my dad. And as a joke, I used to, when, he, when my parents came to New York, I would put them up in the Mercer, the celebrity haven, right. because they were people who never had a TV Knew nothing. They couldn't have identified any celebrity under any circumstances. So it was inherently funny to put them in a place where they would be surrounded <laughs> by celebrities. And sure enough, one day my dad, I asked him what he had done that day. And he said, well, I spent the afternoon in the lobby of the Mercer having a delightful conversation with a man about gardening. But the only problem was people kept coming up to him and to the man I was talking to and asking to take pictures and have him sign pieces of paper. 
So it was clearly some, he had an American. Incredibly famous. Incredibly famous. Because in the lobby, you probably know, you can't go, this is not the public place. You had to be a guest. So other celebrities would come to this person asking for autographs. And my father had no clue. They talked for 45 minutes or an hour about gardening, and he had no clue who he was. Did you ever figure out who it was? No, so one of the projects of this book is to find out who it was. <laughs> and the, I so have some I, guesses. Well, so no, okay, I, this is fantastic, because I would like you to help me. I tried to ask my father some basic, my father sadly has passed, but I tried to ask him some basic kind of, grounding questions, because he was completely in the dark. It was, I think, a fellow Englishman. My yeah. dad was English. So, because he's going to do, he would only really chat up another English person. And it was someone generally of his age range. He was born in the 1930s. And he is into gardening, right? Those are our three clues. <laughs> <laughs> we have to work with that. Right. So. Mick Jagger, possibility, but what's Mick doing at the Mercer? Mick's got a pl- Mick, Mick's not staying at hotels. Also, Mick's not a gardener. Mick's not a gardener. <laughs> He's not a gardener. I have a theory. Yeah, okay, let's hear. George Harrison. George Harrison, uh, now, uh, not born in the 30s, born in the 40s, but an avid gardener. Oh, An Englishman. Was what he, year was this? I'm going to say 2000 and... Oh, I think he would have passed by by then. He would have passed by then. Someone else suggested. The ghost of George Harrison (laughs) was talking to your father. Because the ghost of George Harrison does hang out at the Mercer. That's a fact. (laughs) That is a fact. Uh, Someone else suggested Michael Caine. Could be Michael Caine. But But I've talked to Michael Caine. He doesn't talk about gardening. He talks about uh, suntan lotions. He does talk. He, he's very interested There's, in. He's a guy that he's an yeah. Englishman who made it big and then spent most of his time near the equator. Near the equator. And uh, he knows every single kind of uh, sun oil. But I was and told possible. Was, I was told he was a big gardener. There's no chance Graham Gladwell is talking about suntan lotion. No. Uh, but he would have talked about, you know, delphiniums and... Did he ever mention if the man smelled like sandalwood and <laughs> coconut? Because no. that would be Michael Caine. I have, I've memorized his scent. I've been around him three times and I've memorized his scent because I licked his wrist when he wasn't looking. <laughs> but here's my point. Here's my point. My father, who in that moment had a meaningful interaction with someone without trying to get to the heart of who they were, what they did, what they were like. Yes, yeah. He was content, content to have a delightful conversation about gardening. He met the person on a, what, and we would, most of us would say, well, that's a very superficial conversation. Graham Glab would have said, no, it's not superficial. Gardening is something I feel very passionately about. Right, right. And so did this mystery person. And why can't we be content to meet someone in a, a place where there is no possibility for misunderstanding. So to make it, this conversation very serious, I mean, my book is organized around the death of Sandra Bland. Right. The whole problem with that encounter is the police officer pulls over this young African-American woman, and he is not content to meet her where she is. He wants to jump to all kinds of conclusions and try and figure out what's in her heart. Is she dangerous? And he constructs this bizarre paranoid fantasy that she's some kind of criminal and she ends up, he ends up arresting her and, you know. We, she ends up committing suicide so three days later in, 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 the, in the cell. And it's a tragic story. And again, you, uh, I've since, after I read your book, I went back and I've, I'd seen it before, but I watched the, the, watched the, the dash cam footage of the policeman yeah. turning her over, uh, pulling her over mm-hmm. and, and the confrontation beginning and her, him saying, put out your cigarette. And she's saying, I don't have to put out my cigarette. 
And the whole time that I was watching it, you're, I think we all do this when we see that tape, which is so tragic. We just want the policeman to back off. I've been thinking about this a lot. The whole precipitating incident is she lights the cigarette. Yeah. And he says, put that out. And she says, I don't have to put it out. Right, right. And he says, you have defied a direct order. And then he tries to drag her out of the car. Um, she lights the cigarette to calm herself down. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird that we have, we're now so removed from smoking. I mean, it used to be right. this sort of central, we've forgotten the, the, the tropes of smoking. And the, the reasons why, one of the main reasons people would light a cigarette is when they needed to calm their nerves, right? If it's 1950 and you've just been through a harrowing experience, the first thing you do is you take out a pack of Marlboros and you- You, you light up. You light up. In her own mind, I think, she's signaling to him, I would like to- Calm down. I'm trying to de-escalate. Yeah. I'm trying to bring myself back under control because I got very upset. I'm just going to have a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't understand even that most basic of gesture. And you can't, I mean, this is sort of goes to this question of what it takes to be an effective police officer. And you realize uh, to be an effective police officer, you have to be a student of people. You have to understand the meaning of these kinds of small gestures and body languages and things. He is being required by the kind of absurd demands of his job, to reach a conclusion about a woman he has never met in 30 seconds. Yeah. Right? And he can't, of course, can't, can't do, do it. Can't do it. There's a, I have a, remember I have a chapter on Amanda Knox. Yep. And um, the Italian police and the British tabloid media. Press, yeah. Who can concoct this absurd fantasy that she's a murderess on the basis of zero evidence. They also concoct this whole uh, thing that Amanda Knox, you know, visiting Italy, it's her roommate's murdered. I'm just recapping anyone who doesn't know this story, but I think it's fairly well known. Uh, her roommate is murdered while, while she's out of the apartment. And because she's not behaving immediately the way people are supposed to behave when mm -hmm. someone's been murdered, she's very young. She's kind of making out with her boyfriend soon afterwards. She's, she fits the mode of femme fatale. Yeah. And then the tabloid press deems her Foxy Noxy. It turns out that that name, they, and they make up how she's just very, this, this sexual libertine who's, you know, constantly experimenting and a voracious ap sexual appetite. And it's like, no, no, no. She was called Foxy Noxy because she was a clever soccer player, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's staggering. They are observing what they believe to be discrepancies in her behavior, jumping to all kinds of absurd conclusions, just as the cop did in the Sandra Bland case, and not listening to her, not even not stopping to realize, oh, I'm talking to an 18-year-old, an immature 18-year-old from another culture who expresses her grief in, in different ways. Yeah. Right? In retrospect, that case is so weird to go back and read about it in retrospect, like they were legit large portions of the Western, you know, citizenry who were convinced that she was some kind of crazed, blood-sucking murderess. I mean, yeah. it, it's- been And there's no evidence that she did it. Plus there's tons of evidence that this other person <laughs> did it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was, and she spent years uh, in, in Italian prison. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, and it, there's a very good documentary about it. Is that, that you, you watch it, and you're, when you're done, you think, oh, my God, um, I need to make sure that I behave in the proper socially acceptable way if the police yeah. ever show up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this all goes to the point of your book, which I want to reemphasize is, is 
all these different examples about how we like to think of ourselves. To me, this reminded me a little bit of Moneyball, mm-hmm. the, the sort of Billy Bean theory mm-hmm. of baseball, which is that no one was bothered with statistics. I just, he has a good swing. I like the look of his swing. What's interesting there is that, and it's a theme I pick up in my book, but I, I, I always think that we could do far more with it. In the Moneyball book, essentially what the thesis boils down to is that observing a baseball player play baseball is not just irrelevant to the task of figuring out how good they are at baseball, but may actually impair your judgment. Yes. Well, you talk about this in your book. With judges. You talk about this with judges. There are judges who've said, I would be a better judge if literally we put a bucket (laughs) over, you don't say this, but if they put a bucket over the defendant's head and you couldn't see their expressions, but you just could hear their testimony without- and, and and look at their look at the their criminal record look like, at their criminal record there you would make uh, much better decisions much mm-hmm. more accurate decisions and yeah. we're always taking these cues which is you might be reticent when you first show up here at the podcast and I'll think you're a little shy when you first meet people or when you first come into a situation and you're quieter and you're not a big loud mouth like me so you not Irish, not you know what I mean. I right, I vote. find this uh, this is going to be my next book. Uh, Malcolm uh, Gladwell, uh, you know, horrible caricaturist uh, of of the Irish of the Irish. Um, no, I, I was out very late in the pub last night, so you'll excuse me <laughs> having trouble stringing thoughts together. I'm going to hear about that. I'm sure, like to the end of my days. So where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there, California. (laughs) California, Sona. No matter where you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So, are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus... They also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. 
Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. I just hired a new assistant. And every time I, I knew, get a new one every two years. And every time I do, I try and use whatever things I've been thinking about and apply them to the hiring process. So my first thought was, let's remove all of the information from that encounter. Because when you sit down with your assistant to, for the job interview, the candidate, you are talking to a stranger. You, yes. You know, yeah. So what what's irrelevant about... So we know from... In Billy, in the case of, of the judges, I talk about in my book, they would do better if they just looked at the statistics. In the case of, so you take away information, the looking at the prison face-to-face, yes. and they do a better job of, of making the right choice. So my first thought was, okay, what, what should they take off their resume that seems useful but actually isn't? So I make them all redact the name of their college and high school. Hmm. I don't want to know. How does it possibly help, Right. Does it really make, uh, help me make a better judgment if the person in front, if I know the person in front of me went to, you know, BU as opposed to Caltech? Yeah. 
I just like to point out that I went to Harvard. Oh my God. I got a magnum. Uh, <laughs> they wrote a very good thesis. Um, but I don't want you to know that. I just thought that you were asking me. I was wondering why you had a large H tattooed on your chest. Is that is that at all related to where you went to school? No, I'm a Hogwarts <laughs> fan. I'm a really big Harry Potter guy, and uh, that's my Hogwarts tattoo. So... <laughs> So, okay, so I take that as a table. So I would, if you were interviewing for my job of assistant. Well, you would see an Irish guy, you would say, there's no way he went to Harvard. It uh, doesn't he, happen. He probably, yeah, they don't let the Irish in. And uh, I'm nope. sure he helps his father out at the pub. And then it's off for, for, a, for a bowl of Lucky Charms and then uh, to bed. I got one of those Nina signs out front. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, um, I um, I can make that joke because I'm a black person. Um, and I'm allowed, <laughs> you, allowed. You can do whatever you want. I uh, no. So the second question was, well, why am I, why am I meeting them? Why am I right. meeting them face to face? So in the face to face encounter, what am I finding out? I'm finding out whether they're tall or short, whether their hair is dark or, you know, not how well they dress. None of this is of any relevance whatsoever, right? None. They're, to be my assistant, basically, they don't even, I don't work with them. They work out of coffee shops. They email me stuff. They have to be, they have to reply instantly. They have to be super organized. They have to be nice, good, honest people. I'm what so glad you brought up this topic because you are oh, in the room oh, with no. my assistant. Okay. And I hired my assistant 10 years ago. And uh -huh. I will tell you that I met her. Uh -huh. She seemed responsible. Okay. Uh -huh. Prompt. Yep. Yeah. Courteous. Yeah. Uh, professional. Yeah. And uh, it affirms everything you've said. I was completely hornswoggled. Okay. <laughs> a word that's never used much. I uh, was dreading this. The second you talked about hiring an assistant, yeah. I was like, please don't say anything. But I will say, I yeah. will say that... Yeah. Uh, uh, I <laughs> did you need wait what, what information did you gather from the face to facing him you know it's funny I was completely duped <laughs> by uh, and it's not Sona's fault but it was I needed to hire an assistant I was coming here to Los okay. Angeles my New York assistant did not want to move she had a family so I was hiring a brand new assistant I met with I think 10 assistants uh, candidates in one day in some office in Burbank and the stuff that you'd think I could take away, like, is she tall? Is she short? I even got that wrong because I was, uh, I forget what happened, but I think she came into the room and sat down on this couch and it's a very low couch with soft cushions and she sunk into it. So I had this conversation with you Yeah. and I remembered, um, and your hair was like all puffed out because of humidity or something. Okay. So I thought, <laughs> so at the end of, come on, come no, on. but seriously. So at the end of the day, <laughs> you get me. I ended up, I ended up hiring her and people said, well, what's she like? And I said, well, she's this very short woman <laughs> with a big, massive bush of black hair and her name's Sona Movsesian. I think I can't pronounce it. Armenian. I am. Yeah. Nice. And then, Thank oh, really? you. Oh, oh Thank nice. You. Nice for Armenia, but, Thank but you. down with the Irish? <laughs> yes. Persecuted people. I mean, I know. Yes. Now I know yes. you guys have your own story. But can I tell my. Yeah, no one ever <laughs> persecuted the Irish. <laughs> I love how you just reduced Irish history to, yeah, you guys have your own story. Yeah. Can I tell my favorite? They wouldn't let us have a potato for 800 years. Wait, wait. Are you. Are you, are you um, when you're finished with this story, that's embarrassing your assistant. Yes, we're finished. I'm done. I'm we're done. Finished. I'm just saying we're that finished. she's it's not. Finished. She's very tall, and uh, it's, I, I even got the visual cues wrong, as well as her character we're totally, finished. We're totally finished. wrong. Moving but anyway, on. we're done. Go ahead. Moving on. Moving on. I want to tell my all-time favorite Irish story. <laughs> yes. All right. This is pressure. Am I allowed to do this? Yes. Um, I was very, at one point in my life, into 
uh, the Troubles, the story of the Troubles, the IRA. We call them the Troubles. The Troubles. In a footnote to a truly great book on the IRA, the following story is told. At the end of the Second World War, there was a British informer who was very, very high up in the IRA, and he was found out. They discovered he was. So they immediately spirited him away to a cottage in the, you know, off in the countryside somewhere. And they interrogated him and they wrung a confession out of him. And uh, they asked him to write out his confession. Now, I should stop and say this story is based on a deep affection I have for the Irish people and for their extraordinary literary legacy. As Mm -hmm. you know, it's some of the greatest literature in the world. Of course. course. So he is asked to write his confession. He says, you know, will you give me time? And they say, yes, absolutely. And so he's, they capture him in, I think, May. And <laughs> like where it's going, yeah. When he is finally rescued by the British in November, yeah. he's still working on his confession. <laughs> but it's so, a beautiful it's so, story. So but imagine this. You're like a hard IRA guy, and you've got this traitor in your midst who you busted. And he's like, every morning he like sits down you know, with his pen and paper and is working on another draft, and everyone's fine with it. Yeah. They're like, I, you know, writing is a difficult process. <laughs> At some point he must have been blocked, and they were very understanding. Because yeah. even James Joyce you know, went through a difficult period. Sure. So they're all— it's That's this, Fantastic. It's a supportive literary community, and it goes on for six months. It's just, I just, how can you not love the Irish when you hear that story? The Irish are also so clannish and secretive for no reason. That's my other little <laughs> thing about them. Even in my own family, people, yeah. there'll be stuff that you don't, doesn't need to be a secret. Like we got new, my mother got new throw pillows, yeah. you know, for the couch. And yeah. uh, they're not even expensive throw pillows. She's just good. But uh, no one needs to know. Like there's this, and so our head writer, uh, Mike, Mike Sweeney told me this story once that he went and he looked at a, uh, he was traveling around Ireland and they said, you've got to see this amazing. Wait, you, wait, stop. Your head writer is Mike Sweeney. Yeah, he was. He's no longer the head writer. He's been replaced by Matt O'Brien. <laughs> I was going to say. And I'm not you, kidding. You're not kidding? No. Oh no. my God. No, no. So you don't need to meet the person. You just need to look at their name. And if there's like an O or a, you know, it's, you just hire, is this, is this an she, all Irish? Sona said that she was Sona Omovsessian. <laughs> and I was convinced. I just, and she had dyed her hair red. And she was wearing a, a paper hat. And I did a jig. She did walking a Walking into the interview. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he said, told this story of he was uh, traveling through Ireland and there was this place that they said, oh, the tourists have to see. And it's this ca- uh, cave that you, that you can go down in. And it's just incredible stalactites and yeah. uh, crystals. And yeah. it's, it's something that you would see in a, in a magical movie, uh, you know, a, a, a Lord of the Rings kind of film. Just amazing tunnel. And then there is a little pamphlet that tells the story of how it was discovered. It was discovered in like 1949 by a local farmer who just found it on his property. Like a piece of sod fell in and he peeked inside and saw this amazing vault with 800 foot ceilings and crazy crystals and just one of the most greatest, greatest natural wonders in Ireland. And so he finds it like in 1948 and then he, uh, 
And then it said it was uh, finally introduced to the public in 1979 when he passed away. And you're like, well, wait a minute. He found it. What was going on? And and Sweeney was laughing and I was laughing because we know the guy found it. There's nothing. It's not like it had gold in it or anything. Yeah. He found it and he was just like, ah, it's no one's fecking business. <laughs> no one's fecking business. Like, let's not talk about the, t- we don't talk about the cave. Just keep the cave. You know, oh, it's a pretty nice cave. You should, ah, it's no one's goddamn business. Like, why keep the cave secret? What's wrong with you? So between that and writing, we're an incredible people. It's very, it's very good. You, um, well, you, oh no, go ahead. Well, no, I was, I was, I was relating back to, to your book. You talk about Hitler and you yeah. talk about Hitler in the late thirties and you talk about Neville Chamberlain, who's the famously thought that he could make peace with Hitler and thought that he could read Hitler and went and met with Hitler a couple of times and said, you know, this Hitler guy, he can be reasoned with, he can be talked to. And then he made a peace plan with Hitler and famously stepped off an airplane and told everybody, we have peace with Herr Hitler. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, it's, we're all good. And everybody cheered. And literally it's a year or two later that London's being blitzed. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and he was completely, didn't see who Hitler was. And then you make the point. Now we see that now and we yeah. think, but it's Hitler. How could you not know? Mm-hmm. But we know now what we know now. He is the, he's the devil. He is the most evil face in history. Uh, and so how could anyone have even been misled? But then you go through your book and you list all these people, all yeah. these people at the same time, people who were really good or supposedly good judges of character who met with him and said, no, 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 he's okay. We can deal with him. I mean, even the Germans themselves thought, you know, mm-hmm. He's, the mustache is a little weird, and he has—he's he's a little weeds, and you know he's odd the way he struts around. But you know what? We can handle him. We can deal with him. And then famously, uh, he ends up—you know—almost destroying uh, you know half the civilized world and, he, and he, killing millions and millions and millions of people. He's a—I think we—you know—I was reading a, a book by a guy uh, who was his sort of. PR guy in the early 30s and eventually leaves him. <laughs> I, I mean, love that Hitler had a PR guy. Oh, he totally did. By the way, a PR guy who, where did this PR, where did Hitler's PR guy go to school? Harvard. <gasps> well, um, I'm not shocked by that. Yeah. <laughs> he used to come back and uh, still teach when I was, when I was there. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, and he writes this like book and it, he describes the moment of meeting Hitler for the first time and he's in some pub in Munich and Hitler is like giving a speech before a group of like rowdy, you know, workers. And he's not met this guy before. He's been at Harvard. He's, you know, he's yeah. come back to his native Germany. And he just describes how utterly mesmerizing Hitler was. And that kind of person is, it's dangerous to meet that kind of person. You are, you know, Hitler has a, he's written a massive book in which he lays out his feelings about things called Mein Kampf, right? Yeah. That is one source of evidence. The other source of evidence is you can meet the guy and you can run the risk of falling under his spell. And that's Chamberlain's problem is he chooses B, not A. He should have stayed home and read, reread if he hadn't read it already, if he had read it already, Mein Kampf. That would have given him the, a better picture of what right. Hitler was up to then. It's just, you know, the man's a master con man with incredible personal charisma, stay away if you want to reach a kind of rational Right, right. What's so interesting is that there are people, and famously Churchill, 
church was just not buying it. And in, and there's a period in, in England's history in the mid to late 30s where he's like the only person. Mm-hmm. There's one person in England who's saying, no, we need to be making airplanes and guns yeah. and battleships right now. They are going to come for us and we have to be ready. And he, and he, Churchill famously never met Hitler. Which, yeah. I, which surprised me somehow when I was doing They were the, in the same hotel once, they apparently. Were, Hitler was upstairs and they were supposed to have tea and Hitler blew him off. Yeah. Um, because the Harvard PR guy, actually, um, he, it's true. This is, this, is involved, this is in the early 30s. It's not important where he went to college. <laughs> well, Do you know what I mean? I, uh, I, think, I think it is. I think, I think it's, it's very it's important. why he's that you're, way. Yeah. yeah. You're very sensitive on this subject, aren't you? I just think that it's, you, it could have been uh, maybe a Harvard, I think it was Harvard Dental School. <laughs> I think he had gone to Harvard Dental School, which we all know those people are creeps. You... Um, <laughs> You, why would you say that Harvard, that um, Hitler's PR guy went to school in Cambridge? Very nicely done. <laughs> uh, that's also, I think, where the architects of the Vietnam War were schooled. It's, but not, anyway. a, it's not a, it's We've not done a, good, a lot of good. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not a good look. Yeah, not a good look. No, trust me. The thing that amazes me about the college scandal is, don't the numbers seem low to you? Like, you got some person who's got many, many millions of dollars. They're oh, really obsessed $15, with fifteen thousand dollars. Fifteen thousand. Are you kidding me? If you're gonna, I mean, you're gonna like to break the law, basically, on behalf of your kid, and I'm only gonna ask fifteen k. This, right. this is the part I don't, I don't understand at all. Well, this guy needs some help. He needs him. <laughs> he needs his own version of a kind of advisor to pull him aside and say, "Add a zero for God's sake." No, he needed Hitler's PR guy. <laughs> That's what he needed. He needed Hitler's PR guy to come in. And, uh, you, and could, you could, you could, you could, he could have had a good business at a hundred K for per student. If you're going to goose SAT scores, you'd better go to six figures. I don't, this whole, <laughs> he's like wasting his time, this guy. Like, you know, this is the greatest, what I love is again, this is what you do, mm-hmm. but you have cracked the real story here. Mm-hmm. which is that the college admission scandal was a badly run business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, everyone else has been distracted by the, the, the moral flaw with it. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. you struck to the heart of the matter. It's like, what are these guys doing? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? $15,000? She's she's these are wealthy people. These are very successful people. You call yourself some kind of expert in this area? Like, <laughs> give me a break. Right. And, and the, the, the tuition, 65, 70K. I mean, they're already on the hook for that much, right? They're they're committed to spending three hundred thousand dollars over the course of their child's education for this. Like, why are you chiseling off some nickel and diming this? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Very upset about that. Um, <laughs> I've so never what's seen the, you. Here's my question, uh, and maybe you can help me on this. I um, can. Uh, I went. What to is Harvard. the moral difference oh between? <laughs> so, I, if you walk around the Princeton campus, right, every building has got the name of a. Rich guy on it. Rich yeah. white guy. It's all yeah. rich white guys. Yeah. So it's okay if I bribe my kids' way in by building a building. Yes. You're, there's a right way to bribe. There's a right way to bribe. <laughs> and and I think that's, that's, you know, I, I this goes to something else that I'm obsessed with, this need we have to put our names on things. Yes. Now, I'm saying this as someone who, and this is, you know, not my doing, but right now we're in a building mm-hmm. that says Conan on it. 
Yeah. And then everywhere you walk in this building, it says Conan. There's a lot there's, of there's a lot of Conan. <laughs> a lot of Conan branding. No, I, I want to. I did feel that actually. Yeah, I was Conan like, this is like a cult of personality. Yeah, it is. You're it running is. like, and it, what's weird is like the cult is based around like a tall, gangly Irish guy. <laughs> like it's not like you know what? Yeah. <laughs> you are you are not my friend. You are not my friend. My point is we're not friends. My point is you can imagine like the cult when you think of people who have cults of personality. Yeah. With all due respect to you, and I, I you know, I am your friend I've said yeah we pressured into it I, I signed the statement yeah. and I, I'm a long time fan of yours I find you absolutely brilliant and delightful you are not the archetype of the cult of personality let's just be honest right <laughs> I believe I am <laughs> I believe I have everything Manson had and more <laughs> I really do I, I, I think you you don't know me well enough but uh, I have the power to lead you just a sick yourself. and dangerous cult you just described yourself as a people pleaser 10 minutes ago <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're the people pleaser cult of personality guy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like. So you're okay. That just dismantled me. <laughs> Where I was going with this was no. You're this too is, not, you're But too this is all professional. This yeah. is all. Yeah. This is all. Whatever the professional. I don't want. I'm very clear on this. Mm-hmm. I don't want like a grave with my name on it. Mm-hmm. I don't want my name uh, on a building. I mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Yeah. I feel. Uh, yeah, it's the old Ozymandias. Behold, look upon ye. And, uh, and my works in despair. I just, I, I find the whole thing of, it just makes me sadder. It mm-hmm. makes me feel less. I, I would feel less if you showed me my name on a on a giant carved into a giant stone mountain. I would feel less than I am. Does that make sense? You don't want the uh, Mount Rushmore thing. Oh, I do want that. Oh, <laughs> that's not my name. That's my image. Now my image must be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Are we clear? It's the name. I just think Conan O'Brien. It's not a good name, but the face, the face. <laughs> He's drawn his own face. That's not my face. That's just a generic doodle. That, that that's is not you. My face. That is you. He looks, no. a little, me. looks a little bit like you. Okay. Well, listen. Uh, I. Um, How do you get on Matt? Has I don't know this whole. I'm a Canadian. And this is all very weird to me. That you, right. The whole of all of the weird idolatrous things in American society. Mount Rushmore got to be one of the weirdest, right? It's very strange. Very, very strange. I don't know who's, whose idea was it. How do you get in there? Was it just willy-nilly, the, the coolest guys in 1910? Is I think you, yes. I think what happened was, I, I, I'm not a, uh, it's newer than you think, Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, I think, I'm pretty sure it's a 20th century phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, but you look at it, there's the obvious, like, well, we got to have, Teddy. You got to have, uh, well, first you have to have George Washington and you got to yeah. have Lincoln. You know, you got to have them. Yeah. And then um, I think they felt like you got to have Jefferson. Yeah. You know? So, okay, that's three. Uh, who else is in there? I think Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, I know, was is on there. during his administration? I think it was that's during why. his. That's was why. It, well, I don't I know. No, but, but the only question I have is, is there is that it or is there another? There's just four. I'm pretty sure Gerald Ford is in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, they, that's the one I have problems they with. They predicted it. Yeah. He <laughs> was in the office for two years and Gerald Ford is in there. <laughs> Go look at it. It's off to the side of the mountain. He's not with the others and it's much smaller. <laughs> it's on his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. He sort of it, looks like a parrot on Jefferson's shoulder. Older. <laughs> what if you make a mistake? Like, if you make a mistake, if universities all the time, they somebody endows a building and then they're indicted for yes. insider trading, and yeah. then you like very quietly take yeah. it down. Um, you know, that was my in one of my podcasts. I was very proud of this. My suggestion because it was all that controversy about Woodrow Wilson at Princeton, yes. yeah. the Woodrow Wilson School, and I suggested that they could keep all of like the you know the signage 
and uh, and just call it the Owen Wilson. Like nice. Just, just pick another Wilson. <laughs> That's there's right. lots of Wilsons. That's Rita. Owen Will. There's there's a Wil- Rich, there's a Wilson who plays quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. He right. would be good. Right. Right. He'd be very useful in that context. There's Dennis the Menace's neighbor, Mr. Wilson. Mr. Wilson. Uh, Tom Hanks's volleyball. Yeah. yeah. Hanks's volleyball is lots, Wilson. There's uh, lots of Wilsons. So there was a real kind of shortage of imagination. I thought with them, they thought they had to get rid of the whole name, and it's just not necessary. You know, right? I follow most of your trains of thought. Yeah. And I enjoy most of them. You've lost me here on the whole Owen Wilson thing. I, I don't agree. What I really, it was one of those things that you do because what you really want is for Owen Wilson to send you a text out of the blue and just saying, really appreciate the shout out. <laughs> 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 didn't, it didn't happen. But it didn't, it, it could was, happen. I was fishing. I was fishing. But listen, you just took another shot at it. And Owen Wilson, if you're out there, please. Uh, Please send a cool text to Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, this has been uh, this has been more. No, it's been actually as much fun as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I, I knew this would be really fun. I've been really looking forward to talking with you, and I would love to do it again. I'd like to do it. I'll do your podcast uh, unless that you don't seem thrilled about that. So let's just keep plowing ahead. Uh, of course, or you could come back here. But um, this is two great minds, both. Both <laughs> having written many best-selling uh, books. Uh, what? No? You've, no, you have not done have that. have not done any of that? No, you haven't done that. Okay, well, anyway, the point is That's we are equals in every way. Nope. No? No. Nope. No. Nope. Chiming in again. Nope. <laughs> uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And, the, and then you keep holding up this piece of paper like, we really got to wrap this up. And I... Don't uh, throw me under the bus. I gave you the requested time thing that you asked for. Yeah. Yeah, this is a weird cult, but ineffectual. Like it's, yeah. it's to it's save a bad us. Cult. Take a bad, us away. It's yeah, a bad cult of personality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you think I, I am incapable of being a cult leader? Well, you're too nice. Oh, yeah. well, I don't know about nice that. Cult. Stick around Who's a little a, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I have a magnetic uh, hold over women. Oh, nope. God. nope, nope, nope. No, I do In not. In that, have. it's like the polar <laughs> magnet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably a reason why I don't have a cult. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying, but it's just not working out. <laughs> I'm too, uh, yeah. There aren't many self-deprecating cult leaders. No, that's, that's another you know, thing. Yeah, by definition. I, I yeah, say. Mao was not like, a, uh, you wouldn't want to follow me. Uh, I don't know. It's a great leap forward, maybe, but... Maybe not. I don't know. A lot of, I don't know. One, one I don't know why this is Mao's voice, but I like it. One great leap forward, two steps back. Yeah. There was one leap forward, two back. I don't know. Don't put me on a banner. It's not, well, okay. I don't know. That's my, that's my Stalin. It's very, it's very good. It's, very good it's all just across the board. If all the leaders were just across the board. Uh, I'm not sure about it. Uh, well, uh, I've wasted your time, and you clearly have things to do. Thank you so much for being here. Seriously, uh, no, just an absolute delight. Super fun. Thank you and, so much. And uh, let me make sure I also mention that uh, Broken Record, uh, this is your podcast about music, is, gonna, is the kickoff the third season on October 1st. Is that right? Yes. Very good. Brian Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT, introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cam and the Nest Doorbell with a battery or wired option. Your choice. 
Easily install the ADT self-setup security system at your convenience. You don't need heavy-duty tools. And if you do need help, ADT can provide virtual assistance along the way. Self-setup from ADT grows, moves, and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. It also features Nest Cams that can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. These things are getting so smart. Plus, on every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just one quick tap. Now everyone can get trusted security from ADT installed your way with no long-term contracts. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, <laughs> you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are all trademarks of Google LLC. Come on, if most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not, that's more people than are on earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. (laughs) (laughs) That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. In the intro to this episode, you guys seemed pretty concerned with who was going to win, the two of you. And you know what? I honestly don't remember... I don't either. I don't remember... (laughs) I remember that I insisted that I won, Mm -hmm. but I don't remember what I was talking about. (laughs) It's so so pathological... (laughs) I was desperately insisting that I won, but I have no memory of what it is I think I won. We uh, very easily slip into these juvenile uh, tendencies where we need to have the last word. Yes, we're like um, we're like two addicts that shouldn't be around each other. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then also uh, sometimes before the show, if if I punch you in the arm. You have to somehow uh, just like hit me back, or I don't really hit you. I tap you. Tap me, and so then let's be honest about there that. have I don't been strike. moments when you have locked yourself in the bathroom right before you're Jesus. supposed to go out and do the show because you don't want me to get the last uh, punch. That is true, and that was that stupid. is true, and it's insane. And I will say we haven't done that in a long time. Mm-hmm. But literally, the band would be playing. The stage director has told me you've got to come out, but because. I tapped you yes. and then shut the bathroom door and locked it. Yeah. You're waiting outside and you know I have to come out 
to do the show. Mm -hmm. And it will be a lot of times a show with like a big guest. Yeah. And I'm not coming out of my dressing room because I don't want to get tagged. And I am an adult 37-year-old man. I'm sorry, how old are you? This is just in case we, I'm trying to get Wikipedia to change it. No, well, you can change it on Wikipedia yourself. (laughs) Oh, is that how how it works? That's how Wikipedia works. Oh, I thought I just had to keep saying it and then someone else corrects it for me. So I have no blood on my hands. Anyway. No, it's stupid. You make me stupid. uh, Yes. Oh, you don't think you do stupid things? You think you didn't act in a stupid way before I came into your life? I did. Yes, did. Yes. I did. I did. You know what it is? We revert back to uh, how we were with our siblings. We are very much and siblings. that is so stupid. I think we are very much siblings. You had an older brother who tormented you. And then yes. you thought that he was a great tormentor. This is your brother, Danny. Yeah. Who's now a successful uh, major golfer. Um, what? Isn't he? <laughs> He's a financial advisor. Oh, yes. I thought he was. I don't pay attention. When you talk, I often... Don't hear what you said. I thought he was a mountaineer or a golfer. Oh, okay. But anyway, um, no, he's a lovely guy, uh, wonderful guy. But but you thought he was the best. You couldn't imagine anyone who'd be better at getting under your skin than your brother who you grew up with, who tormented you. And then I came along and I'm, you know, it's the end of the Matrix (laughs) suddenly. Do you remember the end? Is it Neo? Yes. Where suddenly Neo can... he can fight so quickly that you can't even see it anymore. It's exquisite. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's my level of um, irritability. Yeah. Uh, no, no, not irritability. Uh, ability to cause irritation. And I'm the agent that just wants to kill you, and I'm just like Mr. Anderson. No, it's Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> that's you, Sony. You're always like Mr. And I I'm moving so fast, and. You've got these sunglasses on, but I can tell you're just astonished by how quickly I move. But I challenge it. I'm good. I'm a good foe. No? Yeah, you're a pretty good foe. But at the end of the movie, I'm light years ahead of you. You know, I would try to argue with you, but you you annoy me and get under my skin. I'll like lie awake in bed at night and I'll just think about how angry I am. That no, you, you got that you got the last hit, or that you right. said the last word in an argument, and right. it just bothers but me. But don't you think that's my way of helping you? It's therapeutic. No, why can't you be professional? One of us has to be the adult, and it makes sense that it would be the older, the person with power, the person with yeah. in a position of authority. I don't yeah. think I have power in this relationship. I really don't. I honestly don't think I have. I think we have the craziest situation. Many people would say you have the power. Because you, Blay, Blay is nodding his head. A hundred percent. And Sona has the power. And yeah. if I, if I ask you to do something and you don't want to do it, you don't do it. And, and that's it. <laughs> so don't act like you don't have the power. You have the power. You are a model for how people can take power. Oh, okay. All right. I'm cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he just said you won. Yeah, I won. <laughs> I won. I won. Wait, no. I, you won. No. I won. No, I got you to admit that I was right. No. Oh. You said you don't have the power, and I said, yes, you do, and then you agreed with me. That means I won. Oh, no, but you on. gave her all the power. No, I said she already had the power, so I won. Oh, that pisses me off. I won. Here's no. the thing. I Listen, won. guys. I won. Yeah, I no, won. you did it. I did no. win. Did I have the you final edit in this thing, so no, I get to put the last yeah, I win in there. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, and then go just wait by the mailbox, see if your check shows up. 
never has. Yeah. <laughs> and, ne- and it never will. <laughs> okay, I bye. Won. I won. No, won. you did it. I won. I, I won. No, you admitted. I won. 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 Stop it. This is so stupid. I won. You have children. You have children. I'm saying I won so fast that it's just a high-pitched you know, you have children. You have to be the one who says this needs to stop. I win. I just did an just infinite number it. of I won. No, and you know I did what? infinity they times don't end. infinity, infinity times. I win right. so many times. And then I'm a more. great god standing on on top of that infinity, I, and I just put it in a snow globe. I am. I, I am the. I am the Almighty God. And I'm. Do you I don't think, know what the uh, fuck Malcolm I'm Gladwell doing. is listening this to this. This is so Malcolm stupid. Malcolm Gladwell uh, left a long time ago in disgust. <laughs> um, and you know what? It's a it's a tough way to win, but I'm glad I won. I won. That's it. Bye. Okay, I won. Bye. I won. Bye. I won. Bye. We have to end this. I won. Bye. I won. Conan O'Brien needs a friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. <laughs>